The financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Doing well, Paul. How you doing today? Uh, fantastic. Another busy week. Um, my son and wife went to go visit another school um, to kind of see, to narrow the cert, you know, narrow the choices down. I think we're at the point where he he kind of knows where he wants to go. He's locking in on a decision. He's trying to look at a couple other options just to reinforce that decision. And so hopefully in the next month or so, um, we'll have, you know, I'll, I'll stay tuned. I'll let everyone know what he's thinking about, where he's going to go. And then the next thing I started doing, which I can't believe I'm here. It, it seems like yesterday I was just investigating starting a 529 plan for him. Now I'm investigating how do I withdraw from the plan, um, which is very interesting. It's actually quite easy. I didn't realize how easy it was. They make it pretty simple, the withdrawal process. You can route the money directly to yourself or to the kid or to the school. Um, there's a lot of options. I'm sure that they want you to keep all the receipts and such, but it's it's a pretty straightforward process, which I was pleasantly surprised to learn. Paul, how was your week? Uh, my week was pretty good. Just uh, nothing crazy or exciting and thankfully no crazy late-breaking uh, financial things happening here, which is good. Uh, actually, I, I take that back. I take that back. I had an interesting one occur. Um, I was going over spring cleaning, if you will, of my finances and looking at all the bills, and I saw a um, I saw an, a bill from Amazon for Amazon Prime service, but it was like a monthly amount. I'm like, why is that? I pay annual for that. I called up my credit card company, and they said, well, you're actually paying for a monthly subscription and an annual subscription. So I have to uh, work that through with Amazon now and but the credit card company was really great. They put it on hold and they said, here's a phone number. Go give them a quick call. So that's, oh, very cool. that's pretty interesting. So very that's cool. it. Very cool. Yeah. Like we've always said, always pays to look at your statements on a monthly basis, right? So yeah. uh, very cool. Uh, well, today's podcast is with Dave Spear. We will discuss real estate investing with him. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story is from Richmond.com. Uh, Kiplinger um, is the source. Kiplinger Personal Finance. Uh, what retirees need to know about reverse mortgages. So in here, basically, we've touched. We did a whole episode on this um, prior, um, and and I think my stance remains the same. It's a very short article talking about you know the process of getting a reverse mortgage. I think for me, I'm personally not a fan. I'm not sold. Um, I think it's one of those things you really have to do your homework. And, and for certain specialized use cases, it might be ideal. But once again, I think that you have to do your homework to figure out if it's the right choice for you. Uh, Paul, what was your take on this story? Uh, very similar, Paul. The thing here people have to remember, a reverse mortgage is a loan. It's getting paid back one way or another. Whether it be the person who took out the reverse mortgage passes and the estate pays it off or the relatives pay it off and take ownership of the property again, but it's a loan. And I think that's one thing people maybe don't understand. The other thing I thought was interesting in this article was about 40% of the potential applicants who go through the counseling, you have to go through counseling to, to get one of these loans, to get approved for it. 40% of the people 
don't proceed. Hmm. And I thought that was a really high percentage there. Um, it definitely gives people a lot of pause to do this and, you know, perhaps there are other avenues to explore. Absolutely. And for those of you that want to find out more information about it, uh, go back into our episode archive and, and just look for reverse mortgages. I believe we did a whole episode on it, so you could check that out. Um, so now, uh, without any further ado, we'd like to now welcome to the podcast, Dave Spear. Dave is a longtime friend of Paul and I. Uh, we all went to Fordham University together way back when. And, and we're going to discuss with Dave today his personal experience in terms of real estate and provide his advice on real estate investing. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Thanks for having me. No, great. I know that we've been pestering you for a long time, and but I think this kind of stemmed from a conversation we had kind of during COVID, one of the Zoom COVID uh, sessions. I believe you had mentioned you were doing a lot of real estate investing, so um, we wanted to kind of dig into that today. But before we go into that, how's life going? How's the family? Everyone's How's everyone doing? It's good, man. It's great. I mean, I'm, I'm living the dream out here in sunny San Diego. I mean, arguably the best weather in the country, 75 and sunny pretty much year round, no humidity. So it's pretty awesome. Um, really enjoying it. This is going to be our last year out here, though. Uh, we are going to be moving, but uh, just kind of enjoying my last year here in San Diego. Oh, wonderful. So, so Dave, I, I, I kind of want to jump right in here, right? Absolutely. Like, tell us, how did you get started with this, and, and, and why did you choose real estate investing? I, I have so many questions, so many. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version of, uh, you know, how I got into it, and um, maybe we could then drill down from there. But So I moved out here to San Diego for my uh, federal career uh, starting in 2003. I bought my first house in 2004. That was the single family. Um, and survived the 06 housing bubble and the crash. And, you know, around 2008, I uh, was looking around and, and saw these incredible properties all around me that, you know, at the time seemed to be dirt cheap, which in retrospect, they were dirt cheap. Uh, so we decided, you know what, I, I didn't do any deal analysis or, you know, drill down on the numbers like I do now when I buy properties. But at the time, I'm like, you know, this is cheap. I think we should buy uh, so we bought our first rental, which was a townhouse about a mile away from, from where we live in uh, San Diego. And it was a bank-owned property. Got it for 250K, a nice 3-2, about 1,500 square feet. And got a long-term tenant in there right away. Uh, that tenant and, and that family was there for about 12 years until we sold it. Uh, so we learned a lot in terms of the property management side of the business, handling tenants, uh, generating leases, inspections, making improvements, repairs, that sort of thing. And then in uh, 2013, we had another opportunity. Again, um, you know, that just property seemed cheap at that time. We found a, a single family home in Temecula, California, which is about an hour north of San Diego. Bought that, again, bank owned for $250. Uh, had several... Uh, Tenants cycle through there, again, learn more about the property management side of the business. And um, so it went well. Enjoyed receiving that positive cash flow every month. And then in 2019, uh, I was thinking about retiring early from the government, just doing my 20 years and getting out. So I knew that I needed um, you know, supplemental income. My pension wasn't going to cut it. So I needed to create more wealth, more income. So I wanted to pursue the passive income strategy. And at that time, and 2019, uh, you know, the prices had risen considerably in San Diego and uh, rents weren't there. I just, I couldn't make the numbers work. So it, at that time, it really forced me to start looking outward uh, 
start trying to find markets outside of California where I could cash flow properties. And um, so ultimately um, that led me, I started looking in Texas first and uh, found some great properties, but you know, when I drilled down on the numbers, uh, I was coming out, you know, just breaking even or, or negative every month. Um, they have very high property tax in, in Texas, so I just couldn't make it work. So I started looking to the north up in the Oklahoma area, and I started to find deals. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go for this uh, kind of on a wing and a prayer. I, I flew out in uh, December of 2019 and um, purchased my first um, property out of state. Uh, and that was an interesting adventure because, you know, I had done all my research online, right? I identified these great markets and everything or what I thought was a great market. But when I actually got there on the ground for the closing and I um, took a look at the property, I got scared because this thing was a lot rougher than, um, you know, what the pictures showed. So I started to get really nervous, um, thought maybe did I make a huge mistake here? Luckily, that home was, was $72,000. Um, a nice three one about twelve hundred square feet. Luckily, I'd made some contacts in advance, and I met a general contractor um, at the property, and you know she kind of put me at ease. And she ended up being an incredible general contractor. She's done all of my properties in the Midwest now, and uh, you know ended up putting about ten grand into it and turned this place around completely. Got a tenant in there right away. That tenant's still there today. And so then it was just, you know, I kind of repeated that process. So I bought a couple more single family homes shortly after that in the summer of 2020, both from wholesalers, um, both with a lot of equity right from the get go. Um, and then in, you know, later in 2020, sold that first rental that we had in San Diego. I did a 1031 exchange with that property. That property at risk of value is about 450. With the 1031, we were able to um, avoid any kind of taxes on, on all that gain. We rolled it back into uh, Oklahoma, bought a duplex in cash, uh, a couple of single family homes. So pretty quickly, we had scaled up to, you know, six properties and uh, seven doors. And then um, just kind of kept it going, kept the snowball moving along. In uh, 2021, we decided that we were going to leave California. And we wanted to move to Florida, as, or as I like to call it, the promised land. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with that in mind, we decided to sell our second rental that we got in San Diego. And that had risen in value from 250 about 465 to 1031 exchange on that and bought our forever home in Jupiter, Florida. Um, and that was kind of nice because we were able to put that 1031, we were able to put about 50% down on the property and immediately got a tenant in there. Um, and that, that property has been doing fantastic. And then along the way, uh, you know, added a half, sorry, um, added a half duplex in, uh, January, 2021, and then sold my primary residence in 2021 because we knew we were going to be moving in about a year or so. And with the sale of my primary started buying in a, in a better market, more affordable market that ended up being Ocala, Florida, ended up with three uh, single family homes out there. And uh, as far as, you know, where I'm at now for 2022, I purchased one single family home uh, again in uh, a nice suburb of Oklahoma City. So long story short, uh, sold my primary residence, sold my two rentals I had in San Diego, and now we're up to 13 properties and 14 doors in two markets, Oklahoma and Florida.
Wow. Yeah. So there, I've wow. had a lot going on so, <laughs> in addition Dave, I, to my I, job, you know, my W two job. So um, <laughs> you know, this it's just been um, kind of super aggressive uh, these past couple of years. Wow. So. Dave, some of our listeners may not understand or, or know, but what is a 1031? So 1031 exchange is a, um, it's a method by which you can take an investment property, right, and sell it and avoid all the capital gains from, from you know, the increase of value on the property and roll it into another like kind investment property. Meaning you can't, you can't sell a rental property and use that, um, you know, for your primary residence, but you can roll it into another investment property, which is what we did um, when we purchased this property in Jupiter. So, you know, you take all that gain, right? That property sold for 450. We, we don't even touch the money. It goes to a third party intermediary that kind of holds on to the funds. Um, and it can be a little tricky because they don't give you a lot of time so that, you know, the law says you only have 45 days to identify the property that you wish to purchase. So after your sale is complete at, at closing time, that's when the clock starts. You have 45 days to identify a property that you're going to use those funds for, and you have 180 days to close. Luckily, like we knew what kind of deadlines we were working with. We, we had already identified our property prior to selling our investment property. So it kind of worked out. The timing worked out. And um, so it's a very powerful way that you can kind of scale up. Um, the second 1031, or the first 1031 that we did, we were able to buy, like I said, three properties. So you're not limited to just one property. You can actually buy multiple properties with the proceeds. And um, so it's a powerful way to, you know, take the the equity from, a, you know, a highly appreciating market like California and roll that into, um, you know, another market where your money might go a little further. Yeah, Dave, this is very cool. I mean, you're actually... There's so many questions. We could keep you on for like yeah, three hours. Yeah, I mean, like we're just scratching. Right? The There's so many things this. here to unpack. Yeah. I know when in my younger days, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. In my younger days, um, I considered this, um, this whole investing thing. I think my risk meter is kind of broken in one way, and that's kind of risk adverse. And and I think some of the questions I, I'd like to ask, maybe on the personal side, and I'm just going to hit you with a few of them. Then we'll jump into some more of the technical ones, but like. Why did you get started? Is your wife behind you on this? Is there any apprehension when you're building the portfolio in terms of, I know, debt to equity ratios? Like what goes through your mind as you're kind of going through this? I know I hit you with a lot, but I'm trying to articulate, you know, try to figure out what's going on on the personal side, because I think our listeners would love to hear that because there's a lot of people out there who probably love to do what you're doing, but just never did because they're scared to do it. Right or their family not might not be behind be behind them and stuff. So, what are your thoughts on some of those questions? Right. Well, yeah, I've, I've had to deal with both of those challenges. As far as the why goes, you know, I think it it came to a point where, like I said, in 2019, when I wanted to retire early, right? So, I'd be retiring at 52. Um, I just decided that you know what, time is my greatest asset, and I don't want to trade my time for hours in a W2 job. I just don't want to do it anymore. I want I want to do what I want. Uh, I want to enjoy the rest of my life and my family and, you know, um, fish because that's what I love to do, right? I love the water being outdoors. So in order to get there, I knew that I had to accelerate my income uh, because the pension wasn't going to cut it. So, you know, by pursuing this passive income strategy, this is going to enable me to have the lifestyle that I want and, and basically not have to work again. So that was probably the, the driving motivation. Also, I wanted Very a cool. legacy, something to hand on to my daughter. I mean, this is essentially like, 
13 small little businesses, right? They're just kind mm-hmm. of churning and, and, and producing revenue every month. And this is something potentially that, that she could take over, right? So, you know, I was thinking about her as well and her well-being in the future. Um, so that was probably why, you know, I did it and why I was so aggressive. Um, you know, it's been tough. Uh, I, I do have support from from some family. My, my wife thinks I'm a little crazy. I think she's coming around now because, you know, things are working out well for us. But I had to I had to just move past that because I saw the numbers. I saw the cash flow. Um, it was working really well. So I just stuck with the plan and I stuck to my fundamentals. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of analysis when it comes to the numbers whenever I make a buy. And, you know, your money is made on the buy. If you don't buy correctly, it's never going to cash flow. So I'm very, very, very conscious about that. I'm very conscious about the numbers. I have a set of metrics that I use um, before I buy in a particular market. You know, first you have to identify the market, right? And then I have to drill down from there and then, um, you know, find the right property. And it, sometimes it takes, you know, hundreds and hundreds of properties to find one that I like. And it's just being methodical and consistent. It's allowed me to find, you know, some, some good assets. So, so Dave, do you set these up as individual limited liability companies when you do this? or So how, that, how do you that's go about part of that? my, like I said, I've, I've only been doing this aggressively for the past couple of years. That's part of my strategy for this year. I have set up an LLC. Um, one, of, one of my goals for this year is to have more um, liability protection. So, you know, where I'm investing in the Midwest, um, I do have kind of a, uh, you know, part of my insurance program. It's, it's kind of like a business portfolio because I have so many properties. So I have increased liability protection. I have a lot higher liability protection. So, um, you know, I, I'm a little better off there, uh, you know, in the Midwest markets. I do, I am going to be setting up LLCs for the, uh, the Florida properties because obviously I don't want my name attached. Uh, just I don't want to be on the hook for any, you know, any kind of crazy lawsuits or anything like that. So that that's, Part of what's going to happen this year, but I did set up a uh, an LLC as well in uh, in the Midwest, and uh, you know it varies by state. But this particular LLC is called a Series LLC. It allows me to have one LLC labeled A through Z, and I can drop one property into each letter. So, like property one goes into A, property two goes into B, and they're each insulated from each other. So, if there were to be you know a slip and fall lawsuit or whatever, they can only go after the assets that are in. Um, category A, they can't touch the other assets. So yeah, that is part of it, asset protection. Very sure. cool. So yeah, Dave, that's very interesting. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you go about financing these properties. Yeah, so up to this point, I've been using just conventional financing uh, with traditional lenders. Uh, I've used some local lenders here in, in both San Diego and uh, a lender in the Midwest. Um, so, you know, the rates are generally, um, your best rates are gonna be, you know, your Freddie Fannie loans. And uh, you do pay, you know, there is a penalty um, that you do pay, incur with these investment properties, these rental properties, usually it's about half a percent. So you're gonna pay that right off the bat. Um, but, you know, the rates, you know, luckily at the time that I was being aggressive on buying 2020, 2021, I was still able to secure, you know, 30 year notes at a three and a half percent interest rate, uh, which is which is pretty good. Uh, now, the issue I'm running into now is I'm, I'm maxed out, right, because I've got 10 loans now with Freddie and Fannie, 10 conventional loans. 
and that's it. You can't um, go beyond that. That's the limit. So now I have to look at other creative ways to finance the next deal, whether it be you know seller financing or maybe a hard money lender or um, business loan type products. But there there are all, are alternatives out there. It's just you know the rates aren't as good as your conventional lenders. So I, I want to go back again something you said earlier, and um, I've always tried to I had this aspiration to kind of do what you're doing, Dave. I just never mm -hmm. did. Uh, I think I'm in a little bit better position to do some of that, maybe. But how do you go about finding the, the bank-owned properties? And also, what do, you, what do you mean by a wholesaler? I, I caught you saying that. I wasn't sure what you meant by that. Yeah, so the bank-owned, that was pretty much like in 2008, right after the crash. And in 2013, I mean, they were everywhere. I mean, literally in, in San Diego, they were all over the place. It yeah, they were. Okay. Find them at all. And, and so, you know, you're we're buying at a steep discount. Um, I haven't bought any foreclosed properties, you know, in the past couple of years, but I have purchased, like I said, from wholesalers. So wholesalers, basically, these are people um, that I've worked with. They go out and they find these distressed properties and um, they're able to get them well under market value. And then basically what they do is they, they flip it. They assign the contract from them to you and they, you know, they pick up the spread, the difference. So, you know, if they get a property for 60 grand, let's say, um, you know, they may sell it to an investor for 70 and, uh, you know, they pocket that, that 10 grand spread, but you're still getting a property that's well under market value. Um, so I, I've done that probably with four or five properties. Like the second one I bought in Oklahoma, it's just, just, it was a killer deal. I got it from a wholesaler for 66.5. This is, this is a beautiful, Three one house in a great area with good schools, and it was built in two thousand four. I mean, it's just you know, and I just got placed a tenant in there. Um, had a tenant that left, and just placed a tenant in there at ten seventy five a month. So, um, you know, the cash flow has been been pretty strong. So I'm, I'm I'm very happy with that. So, yeah, but finding the deals that's that's the challenging part right now. There was lots of deals in twenty twenty. I mean, bargains on the MLS and through wholesalers. Um, there are bargains in 2020, 2021. It's getting significantly harder right now. I mean, I'm having, a, I'm struggling right now to find deals. So the market is changing. Um, but you know, that's, that's what I did when the first one, you know, went so well, I just kind of repeated that process and, um, was just, like I said, I was looking at hundreds of properties a week and finding these gems and jumping on them. Very cool. And Dave, one of the things you touched upon was tenants, right? And that's one of the things I think that always scared me is that 2 a.m. call that the toilet blew up or uh, someone changes their Harley Davidson oil in your in your living room. Um, how do you deal with with tenants? Have you had any tenant horror stories? And, and how do you do you deal with management companies to kind of manage your properties? What's your strategy for, you know, for making sure that you got the right tenants and any tenant horror stories that you've come across? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, being out of state, it's more difficult, right, to to manage the uh, that side of it, the property management side of it. Um, I'm glad I did manage our first couple of properties here in San Diego, just so I was kind of familiar with the processes and that sort of thing. But yeah, I use property management companies in the Midwest and in Florida, and um, I think it's it's well worth it. Uh, I pay about eight percent of the gross rents that goes to the property manager, but they are pretty much responsible for everything. They're going to handle all those tenant calls, um, you know, at two in the morning. And, and hopefully those are limited. Usually, um, you know, I don't get a lot of those because when I 
renovate these properties, I make sure that all the little things are taken care of. So I, I try to reduce calls for service just by improving the property when I when I take possession of it. But um, yeah, they handle all of that. They do the screening. Um, you know, there's a whole screening process that the property management company will go through. They look at credit, uh, you know, criminal history, uh, any prior evictions, that sort of thing. And then they kind of, you know, they run the tenant by me and, and, and their information. And, and then I basically just say yes or no to it. So by and large, it's all been good. I haven't had a lot of tenant horror stories. I, I guess I had one last year in a property mm-hmm. owned in a, one of the suburbs of Oklahoma City and actually had to evict them, right? And and this is going to happen, you know, when you have a lot of properties and a lot of tenants, it's bound to happen. Um, I did have an eviction. You know, luckily, that's something I never even had to deal with it. I mean, the property manager took over and, and handled the whole process, got them out. Um so there was, you know, they did do some damage to the property, which I wasn't happy with, of course. Um, you know, they did about $1,700 in damage, busted doors, busted trim, uh, trash all over the place. So I ended up having, they lost a security deposit. I had to come out of pocket about 700 bucks to cover that one. So, yeah, that those things kind of will happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, even that property still eked out a, a positive cash flow and a positive return for the year, even going through that eviction. So um, that, that kind of comes with the territory, but uh, it's it's actually a pretty rare event, um, especially if you're kind of paying attention to this, the tenant screening and and you have multiple applicants, right? You can kind of you know pick the strongest one and that tends to alleviate a lot of problems. Also, Along the same lines, you know, I, I typically buy A-class and B-class areas. Um, you know, I tend to find that the tenant pool is, is typically stronger and, and better and I'm less, less likely to have problems. I just avoid C and D-class properties altogether. I just, I, I don't bother investing there. So, Dave, another question I want to ask you is, is what does the 10 years for you look like in terms of property investment? Do you have any aspirations Um to kind of flip versus, you know, you're continuing to hold a lot of these properties. You've sold some, but there's this whole concept of flip properties, right? There's TV shows dedicated to it, right? So just curious what you think the next 10 years would look like for you. And, and do you have any interest in flipping properties? Yeah. So thanks for that. Um, not, I'm not so much of a flipper. Um, I'm a long-term buy and hold guy. I've, mm-hmm. I've always kind of, that's, that's been my mantra um, that works for me. And, you know, I like the, you know, the, the short-term profit on a flip can be pretty nice, but you also have, you know, pretty high tax implication on those as well. I'm, I'm kind of in this for the long haul. I know this is something I'm going to be continuing for a long time to come. So um, I like the long-term buy and hold. I like, you know, with the long-term buy and hold, you win in a lot of different ways. You win on the cash flow side, right, every month. You win on the tax side. There's huge tax benefits, Um you know, to, to holding onto these properties. And then you're winning on the appreciation side. I mean, granted, we've had some crazy inflation recently, uh, you know, definitely a little atypical, but I mean, so you win in multiple ways. That's why I call it a multidimensional asset. And you've got a great hedge against inflation. Um, so that's, you know, there's so many benefits to the long-term buy and hold. That's why I continue to do what I'm doing. And then as far as what I'd like to get into, uh, from here, I definitely would like to do the short-term rental game. Would like to investigate that a little bit more. I just came back from a scouting trip in Florida. Um, I was in under contract on a beach house property, just awesome location. Unfortunately for me, once we did our due diligence phase and 
you know, we had our inspections done and I walked the property. There was something structurally going on with it. So I had to back out, but I learned so much from that trip. I mean, it cost me a couple grand because it was a spontaneous thing. Right. So, you know, I'm a couple grand out of pocket on the trip, but I, I feel like I've learned so much about the short-term rental game and how to increase occupancy and how to maximize returns that I think when the next one comes up, I'll be in a much stronger position. And I would say also, you know, I want to start scaling into the small commercial, like that five to 25 unit type space. So that's kind of like, you know, my goals for the next 10 years. Um, again, I'm also keeping a close eye on the market because, you know, there, there's a lot going on with the market right now. So I'm, I'm getting nervous. Let's just say that with, with what I'm seeing in a lot of different areas. Wow. Yeah, thank you. That's really insightful and kind of neat. Um, going to have to pick your brain a little bit after this episode, uh, Dave. So, um, sure. My, my next question here is what would you consider your, yeah, what would, thank you. Thank you. What would you consider your crown jewel of success so far? Um, so, I mean, I'm really happy with every property that I was able to pick up. Um, I mean, they're all cash flowing. They're all doing well. I'm, I'm really happy about that. But in terms of crown jewels, I would say probably the single family home that we purchased in Jupiter, Florida. Um, and I say that only because that's going to be our forever home. It's just an awesome property. And we were able to successfully 1031 our uh, single family home in San Diego, sell that, right? Roll all that equity, all that gain into that forever home. And by doing that, we were able to put essentially about 50% down on it. Um, so by doing that, you know, we were, we ended up with a mortgage of about you know, 1900 bucks a month and it was able to secure a, a 30 year note on it for 2.8%, which, you know, with, with the half percent penalty for an investment property, that's, that's still a pretty good rate. Um, so did well in that, in, in that regards. And then also, you know, we have a tenant in there now, um, we're going to be there in about a year, but as expenses come up. Um, I'm upgrading the property. So right now I can expense anything that goes wrong with the property. So I had a dishwasher that went out. I put in like a $1,200 dishwasher, top of the line. I had a fence, old wood fence that was coming down in the backyard. I, I replaced it, put in a beautiful uh, vinyl fence that I'm never going to have to paint or do anything with. And that was an expense. So, you know, I'm finding these opportunities to upgrade the house wherever I can be able to expense it. Uh, but yet yeah, we're going to be able to enjoy it because we're going to be moving into it. And then once we move into it and homestead it, after a couple of years, all that capital gain uh, tax is going to go away because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be our primary residence after two years. So and then in addition to that, I mean, the appreciation has just been insane. Again, we're in a crazy market right now, but it's gone up almost 50 percent in one year. So, I mean, feel good about that, obviously. And then the rents, you know, West Palm Beach County is just it's crazy. So when we bought it, we got a tenant in there at uh, about 3,400 a month. And they left at the end of last year, we got a new tenant in the beginning of this year. And, you know, when we put it on the market, we raised the rent by $1,000 and got someone in three days. So, you know, now we're making about 4,300 gross rent on it. And um, so I think, you know, because of all of those things I just mentioned, I think that's probably the crown jewel. And we're looking forward to actually enjoying it ourselves now. Here pretty soon. Very cool. Yeah, I think uh, what, uh, Dave, like I said, I think we could keep you here for a long, long time. But I think we're, we're, there's probably two more questions that I want to ask. Then we'll let you go. Right. Uh, one is, um, what are some of the mistakes you've made so far, and what might be your biggest mistake? And then the second question 
would be what's the best piece of advice you've received so far? Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely made mistakes along the way. Um, you know, not having the right contractors to do certain jobs or certain repairs. I think that's something that over time, you know, you find the right people, you got to build a network. Um, that's huge. So I've, you know, I've built networks in both markets I invest in and, um, I'll, I'll touch on that in a bit because I think that's critical. Uh, security deposits, like I said, that 110 I had to evict, you know, had I had a, a larger security deposit, it would have covered some of the damage um, and some of the losses that I incurred there. So, you know, I, I think that's something I, I try to increase um, when I can is just have a greater security deposit to kind of cover myself if something goes sideways. And then, you know, my biggest mistake by far, honestly, like I said, I don't regret any of these properties. They're all doing really well. I'm, you know, really excited about the future, but I feel like I should have started a lot sooner. Like if, if I was more aggressive and I was investing in these markets, um, you know, prior to 2020, I just think I would be in a, a much stronger position today. So I kind of, I kind of fault myself for that, not just uh, doing more when I had the opportunity to do so. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I think with that, we'll, we'll begin to kind of, we'll go through our summary recap. I think for me, Dave, what I learned is I love this whole concept of the property management company. It sounds like it's really worthwhile to have that 8% uh, factored into your property purchase to take the, to have that peace of mind, right? To have somebody that could be on your side to manage that property, everything from maintenance to tenant eviction to finding tenants. That sounds like it's something that is definitely something that people should do if they're considering getting into this type of business. And I also see a book in your future. Uh, you writing one. <laughs> I think there's a lot of knowledge here, Dave. So thanks for doing the show. And I'll, I'll hand it to, to Paul and then we'll let you have the last word, Dave, with some maybe some final advice. Yeah. So for me, I, I think the leveraging the 1031, that's what I learned. Uh, that was really interesting and, and and helpful. Thank you for that. And as far as writing the book, uh, Fagan wants everyone to write a book. He's still trying to write a book. Um, so, Dave, maybe this book could be your paradise lost. And, uh, those of us <laughs> yeah. who remember why. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Oh, that's awesome. I, yeah. I had to throw that in there. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so so thanks. There's a lot more. Like I said, we're just scratching the surface here. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that I do when it comes to analyzing markets and drilling down on markets and finding cash flowing deals. We could probably do a whole segment just on that. But um, just some some final thoughts here. I would just like to emphasize how critical it is to have a network, a team in place, especially when you're investing out of state. Like I didn't know anything about these markets other than what I could research online and making those connections and finding good people on the ground is absolutely essential. Starting with your real estate agent, right? My realtor knows his market like the back of his hand. He could tell you neighborhood by neighborhood. Um, he could tell you, you know, crime data, everything, uh, you know, what rents are going for on this block or whatever. I mean, so having that experience on the ground is critical. Number two, if you're doing fixer uppers like I like to do, having a general contractor, someone that's, um, you know, reasonable, affordable, honest, um, you know, having a good general contractor in, in place is critical. Number three, your lender, right? You want someone, um, hopefully you build a relationship over time, but someone that's going to give you a good competitive rate. Um, maybe someone that can explore other options if you want to go the commercial route, that sort of thing. And then 
Last but not least is the property manager. Your property manager, that's your front line. That's your customer service. You want to go with a really good, solid property manager, the best one in the area. And again, that's that's your customer service with the tenant. You're providing a service. You're providing quality housing. And having a good property manager that's going to take those calls, do your inspections, um, do the advertising, they're going to be doing a lot of work on your behalf. I think it's well worth the expense. Um, and that's also an expense for you when it comes to taxes. And again, we could do a whole segment just on, on the tax benefits of, of real estate investing because they are huge. Very cool. Yeah, we will definitely. Yeah, Dave, we'll definitely, you know, after the show, we'll talk about we'd love to have you back if you're up for it. We love to dive into some of these other topics. That'd be awesome. So thank you mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. Hopefully, very cool. uh, you know, like I said, we're just scratching the surface here, the, the surface here. But hopefully this is something that your listeners can, you know, can uh, grab onto, latch onto and, and kind of get them thinking and maybe help them in their journey. Very cool. Thanks, Dave. We really appreciate it. So um, with that, just one one closing note, we have a favor we'd like to ask our listeners. Uh, please go to our YouTube channel and search for, or actually go to YouTube and search for Financial Dads and please subscribe to our channel. We would really appreciate it. Uh, well, Paul and Dave, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.